In the province of BC, British Columbia, with a population of almost 4,067,000 residents, there are 130 people missing today. In the state of Arizona, there are 915 people missing. Hello, I'm your host, Sheena. And I'm Christina. Welcome to Milk Carton Cases, a missing persons podcast dedicated to unsolved missing person cases in Canada and the U.S. Today, I will be discussing the disappearance of 36-year-old Amelie MacArthur. And I'm going to be talking about the missing person case of 41-year-old Paul Braxton Fugate, the only Park Service ranger ever to go missing and never be accounted for. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, the only one. On a Tuesday morning, back on August 28th in the year 1973, 36-year-old Amelie MacArthur got dressed and left her home in Taylor, British Columbia, Canada. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of information on British Columbia for those of you who are listening from the States and don't know much. So BC, British Columbia, is a province situated most on the western side of Canada. It's our west coast province. It can be found between the Pacific Ocean and the Canadian Rockies, the Rocky Mountains. It has a population that's pretty high within Canada. It's the third highest in the country. It's known for its gorgeous national parks, its ski hills, Whistler, I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. Yep. You have? Well, I feel like that's the famous one. Yeah. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think there might even be another Whistler in, in the U.S. Don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going to get that. I'll, okay. I'll Google sure. it. Pretty sure. But anyways, uh, BC is famous for Whistler. It's a, an amazing ski hill. And um, they actually had the Olympics back in 2010 held at, on Whistler. There's no other Whistler? Not mm -hmm. Colorado or something? Not that I can find. What? It only is listing it as in in Canada. Okay. So if there is, it's well hidden. No, maybe I'm thinking of a different ski hill. Maybe. There is a Whistler, Alabama. Not popular for skiing, mm -mm. though. Mm -mm. <laughs> I'm wrong. Okay. That was going to bug me. <laughs> <laughs> ah! We need to restart. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, yeah. So anyways, BC is famous for a lot of things and Whistler is one of the famous ski hills. And like you said, you, you know about it, you've heard of it. So also BC shares its national border with the US. Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Montana are the states that are, that divide um, Canada from the US underneath BC. So on the south of BC, those are the states that border. Mm -hmm. And above would be, on the north side of BC would be Alaska. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it has borders with, uh, is Alaska a, a state or mm -hmm. a territory? Yep. It's a state? Yep. Okay, so it has borders with four states. You get the picture of where it's located then, mm -hmm. right? You can picture it in your brain. 
So the state of Washington alone actually has, I, I just had to look into this because I thought it was pretty wild that there's four, you know, uh, states bordering uh, BC. And the state of Washington has 13 land border crossings. Wow. Alone. Yeah. That's a lot. That is a lot. And then there are three border crossings to the north um, of BC, so with Alaska. Mm -hmm. And then two with Idaho and one in Montana. Only one in Montana. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because it, it seems like on the map there's just a lot of like vast, just like trees and unused so land. So maybe there's just like not a lot of cities on the... Or on that part of BC, like maybe not a lot of traffic, so they didn't yeah, put. They didn't I put don't know. One there kind of makes huh. you think if I need to get across the border. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where to go? So there are 19 driving borders in total. Wow. Yeah, yeah. To BC. So where Amelie went missing was in the town of Taylor in, within British Columbia. Um, it's described on the provincial site of BritishColumbia.com. It's uh, and I'm quoting this it's nestled in a scenic valley uh, south of fort st john the community of taylor sits snugly on a broad plain beside the peace river at mile 36 on the alaska highway where the highway crosses the mighty peace river hmm. yeah honestly it looks absolutely beautiful uh, it looks extremely peaceful on the map it looks like it would be right above the montana area right the the peace river or uh, the, taylor taylor yeah um so, yeah it seems like it yeah so it's maybe a little bit less populated over there would yes you say, or? that's what it looks like yes it's a yeah small small sleepy town um yeah taylor so northeast yeah like mm -hmm. you just said of british columbia so enough about bc and taylor <laughs> getting back to my story so that tuesday morning in 1973, 36-year-old uh, Amelie left her home in the town of Taylor, got in her car, and drove off. Later on that same day, her car was found on the Taylor Peace... Well, they can they call it either the Taylor Bridge or uh, the Peace River Bridge, depending on where you're looking. Mm -hmm. uh, her car was found on that bridge. The strange thing, though, was that it was found running. It was just left in the middle of the bridge running. Hmm. The headlights were on. The driver's side door was open. It was just like abandoned. Weird. Yes. Um, yeah, very strange. And I said uh, that was during the month of August. It was a like a hotter. It should be a hotter day. So it wasn't a, a cold day. But yeah, it's it's very strange. Getting back to that. So that was pretty much. <laughs> it's kind of where the story ends. <laughs> Sadly, um, that is not a lot of information. No, no, it's not. Um, and it's a case that has not been solved. As far as witnesses go, <clears throat> uh, there's actually no known witnesses. Mm -hmm. There, it doesn't say who. Mm -hmm. Doesn't even explain like uh, was it a neighbor? Was it a friend? Or so there is a witness who saw her leaving that morning from her house. From her house, um, but they don't. The person, whoever. It was, they said that they didn't know where she was going, um, what she could have been doing, that no information, just that they saw he or she or they saw her leaving that morning, getting in her car and going. Also, this person or these people who saw her were able to, to give a description of what she was wearing that day. Mm -hmm. I will, uh, I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but long enough time to like 
notice her. Yeah. Do you, well, I guess if it's a small town, they, everybody probably knows each other and they're kind of watching out for each other. So maybe it's not so weird that they would notice what yeah. she was wearing. Yeah. I'm thinking like neighbor. Yeah. Or maybe male woman or man yeah. or like. Yeah. I don't know. That's the only witness that comes out uh, during this whole during the investigation of her disappearance Mm -hmm. as far as clues go not much uh she was wearing a gold wedding band she had uh, also a gold eternity ring that's the ring like that's the um you know what the eternity Mm -hmm. symbol is yeah the like loops the infinity infinity sign that's right it says that it was copper rust um the ring and colored pants with a blue shirt was she married so uh yeah that's a good question she had apparently used several aliases she went by the name yeah molly davis molly steiner and molly elizabeth MacArthur. was this just like through her life she used these different names or that's just the information oh yeah yeah (laughs) i don't know but those are all different last names could be maybe like her her mother's maiden name like Mm -hmm. or an ex-husband yeah at one point uh her dad maybe her father's name her mother's name and then an ex-husband's name Mm -hmm. she she's known as amelie macarthur which is it's funny because all the other aliases it's molly 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 elizabeth and she's missing as of Amelie. I guess I could understand how you would shorten to Molly from Amelie, maybe. Oh, Amelie. It's weird because the way that the name is spelled, Amelie, mm-hmm. there's no accent on the E, mm-hmm. but it's a com- It's a, like a more common French name. Mm-hmm. And so when I see it, I was like, oh, is she French? And then her last name, MacArthur, and it's yeah. not French at all. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, it kind of threw me off. But now that you're saying Molly, Amelie, like if, yeah, yeah I can Maybe see you can how. Maybe kind of see how that would be. Yeah, it just when it. I saw the spelling immediately, right. I was like, mm, but it, it's spelled, her, Molly's spelled with an E-Y too, which is strange. Usually Molly's like. There's just no e. why yeah. yeah so amelie maybe that's maybe you, you have something there hmm. i didn't think of that she also had false teeth a set of false teeth yeah that's um rough. i mean that doesn't really say much maybe she just had bad teeth and had false teeth mm-hmm. uh she had a mole on her chest a four inch scar on her stomach but doesn't really explain where and had a scar also on her left wrist I wonder if it was like an accident situation. That's yeah. how she lost teeth too. That ah, didn't even think of that. I didn't even consider that at all. I was thinking the scar on her stomach. I was like maybe a C-section, but then that's only four inches though. Yeah, that's pretty small. Yeah, I, I four. That's pretty big, no? For a C-section, maybe now because I don't think the scars are that big. Okay, yeah, you're right. It might be too uh, too small. Now pull a whole baby out. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, you're probably right. Um, So not many clues besides that. Uh, There's no information. So if you were wondering what happened to the car, what, Mm -hmm. nothing. I was like, so what kind of car was Mm -hmm. it? What color? Uh, Maybe there's something in the car. Nothing, no information on that. No, no color, no make, no plate, no nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder, it would have been nice to know if, like, she was heading out of town or if she was just, like, going right. to work, like, what? where she could have been going. Yeah. 
Like the person who gave that information that they saw her was, I mean, it's a Tuesday. Was it but normal still they for should, her to not be going to work or would you well, expect I, her to go to work? I would expect her to be going to work. Yeah. But it's just like, it would just depend on, they should be able to tell where she worked and if she was going in that right direction or not. Like if uh, she was on her way to work and something yeah. happened or if she was like leaving town and something happened. Yeah. It's weird that they wouldn't it, say that. It's very strange. Um, so yeah, that information is not there. Uh, so a little bit about this bridge, um, about Taylor Bridge or Peace River Bridge. So it's located on Highway 97, which is also known as the Alaska Highway. It extends above the Peace River in Taylor, BC. Um, going, it goes from the Peace Island Park into Taylor, and it's uh, sits. This town of Taylor sits close to the Alberta border mm-hmm. of BC and Alberta. And you could also travel all the way into Alaska using that same highway. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I mapped, I map quested, I map quested it or mapped it. Google mapped it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Do you remember how long it took? <laughs> uh, to do that uh-huh. or how long it takes to get there? How long it takes to get there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it just takes under 21 hours. Oh, piece of cake. Nothing. Nothing. It's nothing, especially without a car. Yeah. So 21 hours to travel into Alaska um, or 1,815 kilometers to make the drive um, to the border. So, yeah, and that would bring you to the border of Alaska, um, Yukon, also the ter- the Northern Territory is right mm-hmm. up there, um, which is Canada's most uh, Western of the Northern Territories is Yukon. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. So uh, there aren't any suspects and we can definitely speculate and theorize. Um, I have some theories of my own mm-hmm. and I think that those are the, theories that most people have um but so basically just my theory is that i found the fact that her car was found running in the middle of the bridge door open Mm -hmm. suggests i'm sure you were thinking about it too or maybe you weren't suggests a suicide maybe she jumped off the bridge i guess i wasn't suggest oh you weren't thinking no just because the car was still running and i feel like most people might take a little bit more planning yes into if it a they were bit. going to yeah and it just seems more of like a sudden mm. thing to me since the car was still running and the door was still open that's really right. the thing that stood out to me so i guess that's why i wasn't considering it as much as what mm. maybe other people were now that you say that those you point out those uh facts i'm kind of rethinking so now now i'm thinking more it's like somebody attacked her pulled her out of her car mm-hmm. and like took her yeah. somewhere yeah, that's what that's more what it likely because they never there's no body there's nothing right uh, it's unsolved mm-hmm. and she's still missing so but and then i was like maybe somebody wants you to think that it's suicide that's why they left the car running and but you're right if it was a suicide i the don't car, think you would leave the car running. no but i don't i guess i don't know that for like i don't have a reason for thinking that i just but i think that you have the right mindset in that when you are planning to do something like that you you usually plan it right and you would pull and, over and i mean and just from you what wouldn't I want like, anyone stopping you and leaving the door open and right. cl- climbing over and leaving the car it just sounds like something urgent happened it was a a last minute 
thing yeah you know and i guess from like what i've read which i could be wrong so Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt but when women commit suicide they're more worried about leaving a mess behind for other people which is why you don't see a lot of women shooting themselves yeah so the reason the reason that or like just the idea that she would leave her car in the middle of a road for someone else to take care of like that yeah that's the reason i'm not yeah all right yeah i hear you and i i kind of feel now like changing my my theory my speculation now that i think of it it does sound like she was kind of pulled from her car mm-hmm. or like if someone or... was laying in the middle of the road yeah and she, like, like, got out to see like really what fast happened? which is why her door was open uh-huh. and her car was still on yes that's that would have been my first oh that's what your first idea. go-to was yeah i was thinking there was suicide was what i thought most people were thinking mm-hmm. but i was thinking more like uh, an ex-lover Mm-hmm. might have been after her yeah and <laughs> this is where my mind goes and she's like planned this whole getaway thing and then somebody met her there at the bridge and she got out of the car and she just jumped into the car with her new lover or her friend or her family member and disappeared off into alaska but that's my that's a great theory <laughs> um i guess i, I hope just that's would assume that if that had happened because she's had a bunch of oh, aliases the yeah. wedding band so i'm like maybe she's running away from something yeah maybe and you're saying that she jumped out of her car no i mean that's my car? like happy that's my happy theory of my like my most positive outcome to to, to what had happened to her that's fair that's what i'm hoping for but i also feel like there's a darker side and maybe it was whoever she's running away from caught up to her yeah that's my story um and that that bridge is a, uh, a popular or famous, well-known bridge, and uh, there's a lot of history behind it. And back in 1957, it collapsed, mm-hmm. and then they rebuilt it, and it was rebuilt uh, and functioning as of 1960. And actually, currently, right now, they are looking at having it rebuilt or uh, expanded because it if if you saw it it's kind of a creepy bridge i don't did you get a chance to look at the video i sent you yeah i did right so it's one of those uh just two lanes barely uh bridges that have the like the grate the mm-hmm, the, the metal grate the metal the grate and driving's like and you feel like i don't know the whole thing is going to collapse mm-hmm. type of type of style so i'm i'll actually put a link uh, in one in our twitter post about this so whoever wants to see the bridge they can uh, access this video and it's got amazing amazing background music it really puts you in the mood it so definitely does. <laughs> yeah uh jokes aside that 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 bridge is where she went missing and um i don't know there's not a lot of evidence on the case if there is there it's not made public and um sadly she's still missing today and i have a lovely picture of her um that is attached to her story pretty much anywhere you search for her name she's wearing a really pretty uh yellow dress like line dress hold on i'm gonna show christina so she can see what i'm talking about oh that's really nice it looks like a nice yellow shift type of dress like very 70s yes yeah 70s very 70s mm-hmm. that's nice yeah a nice dress all right so 
Do you think it's time to take a break? Yep. All right. We'll be back. Paul Braxton Fugate went missing on January 13th of 1980 from Chiricahua National Monument outside of Wilcox, Arizona at the age of 41. So, Chiricahua National Monument covers 12,000 acres in the southeast corner of Arizona. The monument is about half the size of Disneyland, or it's two and a half times as big as the Toronto Pearson International Airport, just to give an idea of how big it is. The park is a part of Chain Islands. Chain Islands? What's that? So the park is a part of a chain of isolated sky islands. Ah, I thought those were islands. Yeah. <laughs> you could have found I misspoke. <laughs> and they rise over 5,400 feet or 1.6 kilometers above the Sonoran Desert. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of different elevations going on. The monument was named for the Chiricahua Apache and was established on April 18th of 1924 to protect, protect its hoodoos and balancing rocks. So hoodoos are also called tent rocks or fairy chimneys and are a tall, thin spire of rock that stick up. They were formed during a massive volcanic eruption that occurred 27 million years ago. Within the monument is also Faraway Ranch, which is one of the last frontier settlements associated with the final conflicts with the local Apache. So within the monument, there's only one eight-mile-long dead-end road, 17 miles or 27 kilometers of hiking trails, and a visitor center that's two miles from the entrance. So it's not got a lot going on for what it is. So because of its wide ranges of elevation, the monument has a ton of unique wildlife, such as the javelina, which is a kind of pig, and um, it also has four species of skunk. So I just sent you a picture of the hooded skunk. Gross. I thought it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Look at its tail. It has the fluffiest (gasps) little tail. Come on. It looks like a feather, like a giant yeah. feather. It I looks, mean, it is cute. It's so furry. It looks yeah. very soft. Yeah. It's so cute. Yeah, you guys should cute. look up a hooded skunk because I was <laughs> happily surprised. Um, within the park, there are also kangaroo rats, foxes, kawadis, or kodamundis. What? Wait, so what's they're that? like, I only thought that they were in Central and South America, but they're kind of like the, rac- look like a raccoon where they have a really long snout and like the striped tail. Do you see oh. any when you were in Costa Rica? No. Let me send you a picture real quick. In Costa Rica, no. They definitely are, act like raccoons animals. where they just kind of um, rummage through garbage. They're found mainly in like garbage. I mean, raccoons are like cute. That. They are cute. Nope, oh, that's the wrong picture. Just sent you the same one again. Here we go. There we go. This guy. Have you seen that guy before? You. He... Oh, here oh yeah i don't know why i always thought that was like an anteater like a small ant yeah so they do have like that longer snout but no oh. it's more more like a raccoon oh my god that's in my opinion because of like the tail but yeah they're pretty cute i just they didn't know cute. that we had any in the states but no no i i wouldn't no i wouldn't have thought that arizona though i mean it's I guess. Hot. I don't know. I why don't we have them in Texas then? Yeah. It's not fair. No. They're very <laughs> yeah, cute. It's it's not fair. <laughs> um also within the park they have sixteen species of bats, several of which feed on nectar, which is also very adorable. If you want to watch a video of a bat drinking <laughs> nectar, its little tongue just comes out. Aww. It's very adorable. Okay. okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. 
the monument also used to be home to jaguars and ocelots, but they have been listed as endangered in the United States, and it's extremely rare to see them now. So that's unfortunate. So getting more into the case, Paul Braxton Fugate was born on September 2nd, 1938 in Brooklyn, New York. But when World War II started, his parents moved the family to Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, so moved local right down the story road. kind of. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like growing up, Paul spent a lot of time outside in nature. He even tamed a crow and trained it to skin rats on the property and dive bomb a neighbor's shiny bald head. What? Yep. Can you repeat that slower? Yep. So he trained a, a crow. A crow. Like, s- a, ca- yep. like mm-hmm. a crow. Yep. To skin rats on the property. So helpful. Even if it's gross. Yeah. And dive bomb a neighbor. skin rats? Well, like- I'm sure it's just like kill them, but like... That was the wording that was used in the article. So <laughs> I'm picturing like, like maybe. Yeah. Okay. Who knows? I don't know. All right. And it also dive bombed a neighbor's shiny bald head. Wow. So multi-purpose crow. Yeah. Right there. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that that was possible. They're cool. very smart. You got to watch out for the crows. Are they really? Yeah. And they remember what? faces really well. So if you make crows angry, they'll tell all the other crows. No. There's great papers on this and like other great podcasts is that why alfred hitchcock it was crows that he chose to the, have the you ever birds? seen birds i haven't seen the birds but i was a kid I don't, don't ask me why i was a kid <laughs> i saw that yeah, but <laughs> yeah uh, i'm pretty sure they were crows anyways but yeah that's crazy smart. i it, did there's not there's a really fun podcast about it too if you about want. crows well just like these experiments that they did were like if they're mean to a crow okay. they'll remember you and they basically followed this guy home wow. like so now all the researchers wear masks so they can't like tell who's who because wow. otherwise they'll like attack the, you. No. It's crazy. They're so So smart. like if I see a crow and I'm like, ah, and I throw something at it, that crow might it'll come back remember. to get and me. And it'll tell all the other crows. That's <laughs> you see a flock of, you. Wow. That's, so that's really wild. Like, very not, smart. Wow. That's, mm, wow. That's yep. all I can say is wow. I'm no other words. so much today. <clears throat> So he was also working towards a biology degree at the University of Texas Arlington. He graduated in 1963 and shortly after applied for a position at the National Park Service. So in the summer of 1962, he met Dottie, who had been a friend of his sister's, and on December 11th in 1964, they were married. Five months later, the pair moved to New Mexico when when Paul went to go work at Carlsbad Caverns. So next, he was moved to Arizona to work at the Navajo National Monument, but there he had some issues with the monument supervisor, Jack Williams. So in a 1967 letter, Williams chastised Paul for his anti-authority streak, his laziness, and his personal appearance. So, quote, if you want to look and live like a hippie, that is certainly your prerogative, but not here at Navajo National Monument. And he was very annoyed that he couldn't just fire him, saying, I do not understand the breed now coming into the NPS. And so in 1970, Paul was transferred to the Chiricahua National Monument in Arizona. I thought he was in Arizona. He was, he was in Arizona. He just got moved to a different monument. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, I didn't realize, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there he worked as a monument naturalist, answering visitors' questions, curating exhibits, and putting together trail guides and plant lists. Around that time, Paul began wearing a Fu Manchu mustache, which did not follow the National Parks Department's strict grooming guidelines, so he ended up being fired less than a year after he arrived. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. For a mustache? Yep. Strict. I guess every generation has their issues. Mm-hmm. 
So since Paul no longer had a job and they couldn't live in park-provided housing, the couple moved two hours west to Tucson and began graduate studies at the University of Arizona while Paul fought to get his job back. Finally, in 1976, Paul was reinstated at the Chiricahua National Monument. While he, he had to live at the monument for work, Dottie remained in Tucson, and Paul would commute back twice a month to visit his wife. Do, do you know how, how far that was? It was two hours. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it sounds like around the same time Paul came back to the monument, he and Dottie decided to open up their marriage, or at least it was open for Paul, which was agreed upon. Oh, okay. Dottie said her only rule was that Paul's relationships be strictly physical, and since she had plenty to keep her busy in Tucson, she didn't have a need or time for another relationship. So it sounded like she didn't care what he did, but she just wanted to, you know, him to remember that, like, she's his wife, basically. So. In Paul's off time, he was known to hang out with the younger seasonal employees, getting stoned, and going on full moon hikes. One of the rangers who lived next, to, next door to Paul said that he often seemed like a lost soul since the Park Service had it out for him and he couldn't further his career anymore. On January 13, 1980, Paul Fugit went missing from his post at the Chiricahua National Monument. Since it was during the off-season of the park, there was a limited staff working and Paul was at the visitor center with, with one of the other seasonal employees who was working as a clerk and was also Paul's latest girlfriend. At 2 p.m., Paul left the visitor center to do a foot patrol on a nature trail, probably to make sure there weren't any hurt or lost hikers on the trail before the monument closed. He told the seasonal employee, and they never mentioned her name, so we're not going to mention it here, um, that if he wasn't back by 4.30, to go ahead and close up without him. And he left, only taking his keys, leaving his radio and everything else behind. When Paul wasn't back by 8 p.m., the employee notified the park superintendent, Ted Scott. Together with two other rangers, they set out with a flashlight to look for Paul. The next morning, when they still hadn't found, it, found him, sorry, uh, Ted contacted the county sheriff's office and brought in a search and rescue team, which consist consisted of a total of 22 men and women and one dog. The next day, the search had extended to include a National Guard helicopter and 16 volunteers from the Southern Arizona Rescue Association. The official search lasted just over two weeks, and park officials determined that Paul was not on the 18 square miles of monument land. <clears throat> Dottie, however, kept volunteers looking over the next several years, checking abandoned mines and walking the trails in case anything showed up. So the criminal investigator for the sheriff's department, Craig Emanuel, originally suspected that Paul was the victim of a drug deal gone wrong. The Chiricahua Corridor, corridor which is a historic immigration route for undocumented farm workers from Mexico running through the Chiricahua Mountains was just starting to be used by drug mules. The other theory was that he just walked away from the monument. The National Park Service's regional chief detective later told one reporter that he believed Paul was living with a paramour somewhere very healthy and that finding him was not a priority. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Ouch. Yep. So first, we're going to start by going over the theory that he just walked away. <clears throat> a park service investigator doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get there. Yeah. A park service investigator, Pat Hanley, was the main proponent of this theory. For starters, because of Paul's attitude and appearance, he couldn't move up within the park system and was basically stuck in the job that he had. On top of that, his current girlfriend was pregnant. Uh, is that a is that true? Mm-hmm. Oh. Pat believed that Paul simply ran away from a failed career, a broken marriage, and a pregnant girlfriend because they also did not believe that Dodie or Dottie, sorry, approved of the ocean, open relationship, 
even though she told them many times that it was an agreed upon situation. Okay. Okay. Mm hmm. In addition, the majority of the people there in the late 1970s and early 80s thought that a major drug deal happening in the area was laughable since most of the migrant traffic went up the east side of the Chiricahuas towards the town of Portal. Pat also believed that Paul left his radio behind on purpose and simply crossed into Mexico since in those days you didn't need a passport or even an ID to get on a plane. So even though Pat brought his family along on an official investigation and seemed to treat it more like a vacation, in February of 1981, the National Park Service fired Paul for abandoning his post. They also, demand they also demanded that Dottie return the $6,925 that they paid her during the time he was listed as missing. You're kidding. No. What That the was the hell? thing. That was the reason that I wanted to do this case because that was so like, ridiculous, that's ridiculous to me. I read that and I was like, that is no. insane. No. Yep. Did she, did she pay? She had to. What? She didn't have a fuck? choice. Yeah. She, her husband went missing. Yep. And he was listed as missing. So she was getting basically like his like, back pay almost. Yeah. And then they just decided that he abandoned his post, which meant he didn't deserve the back pay, which meant she had to under like what fucking evidence do they have that, that proves their theory? A failed career, a broken marriage. No, and a I mean like, girlfriend. you know, like real. That was what their. That was what I believe their reasoning was. Yeah, no, no. He's not in Mexico chilling, like, hanging. No, unless you've seen a picture of him hanging out in a different country with, like, a margarita in his hands. Where the fuck do you get the... I, I would agree. The, I did not like yeah, that theory. That's I was not messed a fan. up. But this is what, like, in at this point, where, what year are we in? 1981. 81? Was when they oh. determined, or when they decided to fire him. 81. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. Yep. So now we're going to talk about the next theory, drug okay. deal gone wrong. And this one is a doozy. So hold on. Ooh, holding on tight. There's a lot of names that we're going to throw out there. Okay. Dick Horton, a Park Service volunteer in his 50s, reported seeing Paul slump between two men in a pickup with a green camper shell barreling away from the monument at 50 miles per hour. Others working at the monument reportedly saw a vehicle spin out tracks on a primitive road and signs of a scuffle in the dirt. One of the men was supposedly wearing a green jacket and the other was wearing a red, black, and white plaid shirt, had a Kenny Rogers type beard, and appeared to be in his 30s. Dottie also brought a clairvoyant, Sandy Brooke, into the search who said she detected a time portal inside of the Fairway house. Sandy also claimed to see two men, however this time they were over a drugged, unconscious woman's body. Paul walked onto the two men and they grabbed him and shoved drugs down his throat before throwing him in the truck and dumping him across the Mexican border. Hold on. Yep. Okay, wait. What? So the... the Can you go back to Dottie hiring the... Uh, clairvoyant. Yeah, clairvoyant. Mm -hmm. So so she hires a clairvoyant and she says that she sees... Yeah, so like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's... Sees. Sees or... Yeah. Feels or mm -hmm. whatever. Can you explain again what she feels and sees? So basically she's just kind of backing up a little bit what Dick Horton said that he saw was that there was two men who yeah. were like being shady. And then and the then, truck and the... Yeah, but this time there was like, they were over a drugged unconscious woman and Paul walked onto it and oh. then they're like, oh, you can't, you know, see this. So I'll then have they to kill drugged you, him kind of and then threw him across the border in Mexico. Yeah, that, uh, I don't know. About that, but 
Okay. That's what she saw. Though. That's what she saw. That's what she saw. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So adding to the theory, in October 1980, Craig Emanuel, who was the investigator on the case, received a block print block print letter telling him to ask Ernest Jeff in the county jail in Phoenix about Mr. Fugit. A year later, another letter in the same style came blaming Tex Carpenter for the disappearance. Both letters were postmarked from Bloomington, Illinois. Lending credence, credence to the letters, a couple weeks after Paul vanished, Ernest and Tex stole, stole a pickup at the Phoenix airport and crashed into an orange tree. So you know that they were there around the time that he went missing, which is kind of interesting. Around the time that the letters were being sent, Ernest was acquitted in a high-profile prison gang slaying. So after a while, Tex finally agreed to an interview where he said he'd seen Ernest and another individual shoot Paul, and he helped bury him south of Tucson. So even though this information sounds really good, at the time, Tex was being threatened in prison, and he would really say anything, even if it wasn't necessarily true. So they can't just go with the information and assume, you know, that he's been buried because they assume that Tex is lying, which is sad. There's a lot of information. I'm kind of like, I feel like you need to start off. Start over. Okay. Hold on. I'm gonna pause. Where should I start? Um. Let's go back to. Let's go back to the letters that you were receiving. That they were the investigator was receiving. Paragraph over. Yeah, and I will cut. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, it's recording. (laughs) So, adding to the theory, in October of 1980, Craig Emanuel, who was the investigator received a block print letter telling him to ask Ernest Jeff in the county jail in Phoenix about Mr. Fugit. A year later, another letter in the same style came, blaming Tex Carpenter for the disappearance. Okay. So both of these names we haven't heard before. No. They just are letters that showed up blaming these two people, basically. But the writer seems to be the same person because the, mm-hmm. the style of writing is the same. Yeah. Okay. And both letters were postmarked from Bloomington, Illinois. Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, lending credence to the letters, a couple of weeks after Paul vanished, Ernest and Tex stole a pickup at the Phoenix airport and crashed it into an orange tree. Ah. Mm-hmm. So, we know that they were there around okay. that time. Yeah. That's weird. That's mm-hmm. a weird coincidence. Yeah. Yep. So, around the time that the letters were being sent, Ernest was acquitted in a high-profile prison gang slaying. So, he's into some stuff. Okay. Was he ever? Que- were these two people ever questioned on their? Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna get there now. So Tex finally agreed to an interview where he said he'd seen Ernest and another individual shoot Paul, and he helped bury him south of Tucson. So as good as this information might sound, at the time Tex was being threatened in prison and would really say anything, okay. even if it wasn't true. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. My- Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get into a little bit more. There's more theories? There's more. Well, same theory. Okay. More information. More information. In November of 1982, a man was reported to have been boasting to his friends that he killed a police or border patrol officer in Arizona. So detectives didn't really consider it involved with Paul's case because he wasn't an officer, even though he did carry a kind of badge for work. Following through on the lead, though, Emanuel drove down to the mechanic shop in Tucson that the man worked at. There he met the owner, Frank Youngquist. After Emmanuel introduced himself and why he was there, Frank asked how Dottie was doing, even though there was no clear reason why he would know who she was. 
After investigating further, Emmanuel did find a very shaky connection from Paul's girlfriend to a pot, grow- pot grower in Cochise County to a mm. woman in Tucson who took her car to Frank for repairs. But oh that's a lot of very shaky connections. Yeah. I feel I didn't put that much into it. It's like you can look hard enough for connections. If yes. You, you, yeah. So six degrees of Kevin Bacon is mm. turned into this. Hmm. So something that does seem more suspicious, though, is that Frank's business partner had recently bought a 40 acre parcel of land west of the monument at an inflated price and then sold it again two years later. There's only a shed and no trespassing sign on the property. He bought it at an inflated price mm-hmm. so after just- after he disappeared? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then sold it two years later? Mm-hmm. And there's a, uh, sorry, the shed? What? Yeah, so there's like, he didn't build anything He didn't do anything with it for two it, years. He just, it just kept there. it. Yeah. Which is Wait, uh, this is who again? This is Frank's business partner. Okay. So Frank was the me, yeah. mechanic owner, mechanic shop uh, owner, and his employee was the one who was boasting about killing a police officer. So again, it's a little mm, shaky, but it does seem more suspicious than yeah. like a string of people that are just like... Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. chances are there's like one or two people involved and not a, a like the handful mm-hmm. yep um because if a handful of people there's somebody's gonna like mess up and say something or or slip up and and yeah that is weird though that he bought the land after yeah like you mean do do you know how they soon? didn't say they didn't say how soon it was afterwards but pretty but close weird that you would buy it at such a inflated right uh, yeah and do nothing with it exactly that's weird that That is is very strange and then literally like two years later just sell it again sell it again yeah okay so in august of 1984 another letter was received this time by the department of the interior it was signed anonymous in illinois which is also where the previous letters were from Mm -hmm. this one read gentlemen are you still seeking the whereabouts of a national park ranger who disappeared from the Chiricahua National Monument in southern Ari- southeastern Arizona on January of 1980? If so, Tex Carpenter, an inmate at the Arizona State Prisons, is who you should talk to, as he told me nearly a year ago that he helped knock off and get rid of a park ranger who got in his partner's way where they were doing something illegal with narcotics in the above-mentioned park. Okay, that's twice now? Mm-hmm. But I'm all just the letters gonna... are also probably sent from the same person. You know? It's like they're yeah, all but why? Them. Well, okay. So maybe somebody's got it out for text. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or he had something to do with it. and like. But you know, like, lies come from something. Yeah. Yep. They come. There's some sort of... There's got to be some sort of connection, if, even if it isn't fully the, what, the truth. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I but, thought that, that was interesting. They, again, they did talk to Tex. They investigated him. Nothing mm-hmm. obviously happened with that. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything. No. Mm-hmm. Huh. There is one other possibility. Oh my gosh. One other theory. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't really seem to be considered by investigators. So Sheena, who's the first person that police are told to look to? Dottie. Yeah. That Dottie was in on the disappearance. 
While she didn't drive over to the monument until four days after Paul's disappearance, she immediately latched onto the foul play theory and even nudged Craig Emanuel in that direction. She was never asked for an alibi, and their home in Tucson was never searched. Um, right? Right? Why, why would she suddenly want to kill him? Not necessarily kill him. Or but him to disappear. Oh, wait, she's aiding him in his disappearance? Potentially. Because he's running away from financial issues? Potentially. But then she's going to be alone? We're going to get there. We got, a whole, we got a whole theory. Okay, okay. go. So Paul's neighbor made a comment that she seemed more upset finding out about his girlfriend's pregnancy than that Paul was missing. When investigators searched... I'm sorry, even if... Sorry, I didn't mean oh, to no. cut you off. <laughs> even if I was to agree, which I would never, um, to have an open relationship where my husband... Because it doesn't sound like she... No, it, no, right? She doesn't get to have fun. He she, does. It sounds like she could if she wanted to. She just didn't care to. Right. Okay. Um, even if that agreement was made and I was super cool about it, uh, if he, my husband had gotten his so-called girlfriend, girlfriend, mm -hmm. I guess, mm -hmm. uh, pregnant, and they didn't have kids. No. Do we know if it's because they couldn't? I don't know. Okay. Well, anyways, I I, I can I that's gotta hit a nerve. I'm sure Regardless that would, of but, the agreement. But would you be more upset? Then if Alex was missing, what would you be the most upset about, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, I would be upset if I'm in agreement with all the whole situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that. Uh, yeah, no, I'd be more upset that he's missing. Mm -hmm. But if I was mad about the pregnancy, him going missing might not be such a bad thing because I'm maybe behind the fact that he's going missing. Just throwing little wrenches in the Yeah. Bag. Wow. Okay. Okay, so when investigators searched Paul's cabin, they found an unfinished life insurance application and a check that Dottie had written to Paul from their joint bank account. Dottie explained that she wrote the check so that Paul could start a new bank account in the nearby town of Wilcox since she was planning on moving to the monument in June. However, their Tucson bank had a branch in Wilcox, so he wouldn't have needed to open an account, a new account, because you could just transfer it over, so he wouldn't have needed the check. And no one at the park had ever heard Paul mention that Dottie was planning on coming to live at the monument. So it was like, maybe they were planning on getting a divorce or something, splitting up and like, you know, she was trying to buy him out of the house in Tucson or something. I don't know. It doesn't say. I'm purely speculating here. But that was a little fishy. Two weeks after Paul's, after Paul disappeared... Dottie started asking how long she would have to wait before she could get his retirement benefits, saying, mainly because I wasn't making much money, I asked about his benefits. It's just one of those things you do. Eventually, she did take a polygraph where she denied having any contact with Paul or knowing whether he was alive or dead. The examiner felt that she was being truthful, but he noted that her response was very subdued and near the numerical area of being classified as being inconclusive. So he said that she's telling the truth when she says he doesn't. She doesn't know, but she could also Beyond be deceived. Oh, I was just lying. Mm -hmm. She's just yeah, but probably anyway, yeah. Um, wait though, that's confusing because it's like sounded like to me like you're said it was suggesting that she may have planned his disappearance because she's upset about the pregnancy, but this sounds more like now it sounds more like she's in 
cahoots with him so he can disappear. Mm-hmm. And she gets the money. I like, and then I um, tend to see this theory more as like she's in cahoots with it, mm-hmm. just because of how upset she got about the pregnancy. I feel like if she already knew about that beforehand, she would have been able to like cover it better, almost. You know? Yeah. Like it felt like when they were saying that she, she found out about the pregnancy after he went missing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. That's why she was, they said it was suspicious that she was more upset about the pregnancy than she was about him missing. Oh, like, God, mm-hmm. like, damn it. I am, like, I went through all this to help him get away, and now that's I how, find out that he's got a girl that's pregnant. How I read it. Okay. I, don't know. Oh, I also, I, I will see. say, I don't have a favorite theory. I don't. Mm. I really don't. I don't like the, the idea that he just walked away. Mm. I don't think that holds up very well. Mm-mm. I think there's. I think if Dottie life. disappeared. Then I would think maybe more. I'd be more inclined to think that okay, yeah, they, they, they like kind of ran off, mm-hmm. but she didn't disappear. She didn't disappear. So that makes me think that something actually happened to him. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. We will. But no, we what? won't. Oh, <laughs> but we've still got more. <laughs> okay. The National Park Service refused to have Paul listed as deceased for six years, so Dottie could not collect his pension or benefits. In 1986, the investigation was reopened. And it was concluded that there was no reason to believe that Paul had left on his own and was still alive somewhere. However, it wasn't until 1989 that the government agreed to provide her with Paul's retirement benefits benefits and a survivor annuity. Dottie said that she also received about $40,000 in back pay. With the money, she was able to pay off her student loans and got a job as a research curator at the Museum of Indian Art and Culture in Santa Fe. Quote, life might, life might not have been as interesting if Paul hadn't disappeared, she said. Throughout all this time, Craig Emanuel has kept in contact with Dottie about the case, and even though he retired seven years ago, he picked up the case again, traveling around the state and re-interviewing contacts. There was a new lead in February of 2017 that caused the Park Service to put a special agent on the case, but so far it hasn't led anywhere. The Park Service originally offered $20,000 reward, but over time it's been raised to $60,000. Paul also had a new plant species named in his honor, a flowering desert perennial called Amos, I'm going to get this, Amsonia fugati, and there was a plaque erected in his honor at Chiricahua showing Paul clean-shaven and on horseback. Can, can I see that picture, please? Let me pull one up. I'm not prepared. That's okay. I'm going to talk about uh, Whistler again. Oh, no. Are you still looking? Yeah, I'm still okay. So I remember remember how I was like, oh, there's another Whistler, and I was wrong. Well, I on our break, I did a little research, and I was mistaken. I was thinking about Aspen in Switzerland, and then there's also an Aspen in Colorado. So I'm wrong. It's not Whistler, and it's not BC in Colorado, but. It is a ski resort and it's Aspen and it exists in Switzerland, which is more famously known, right? Aspen is no, no more known in Switzerland than it is in Colorado. I don't know. I Maybe it's just because I'm from the States. I know it more. <sighs> maybe. I now I, I feel like we need a third party day to join in. Well, anyways, we will talk about that again next week or next time excuse me but so there's an aspen in colorado and there's an aspen in switzerland and they both have ski hills that are pretty large and pretty famous or mm-hmm. one might be famous one night 
might be a little less. I sent you a picture. Let's see the picture of um. What I see flower. Oh, that's a flower. Mm-hmm. So it's a flowering uh, desert desert perennial. So it's a pretty little those flower. Are pretty. Mm-hmm. And what about the picture of him? Can um. You- yeah, I can send you that too. So I did think that it was interesting that in his plaque, he's um clean shaven just because he was so well known for his crazy oh, yeah, hair and not yeah um, well he was getting hr issue uh, mm-hmm. hr <laughs> complaints about the beards mm-hmm. or the mustache so i didn't know if it, it to me it kind of felt like a little mm, like final a little stab, jab yeah from uh, the parks department being like still got it you know we're still gonna show you this way but who knows ouch. maybe yeah he really liked this picture or something but i just thought that that was don't want him to look like a happy. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, I'd like to see him with the beard and the mustache. We'll post that but, one. On the- oh, you have it too. Okay. Mm-hmm. That'll be the, Aww, the cover picture. on that beautiful horse. Mm-hmm. When Paul went missing, he was forty-one-year-old white male, between five-five and five-ten, one hundred and sixty to one hundred seventy pounds, with grain-brown hair, blue eyes. Long hair with a full beard and mustache and a pronounced widow's peak. He had thick granny style glasses and was last seen wearing his standard park service uniform and red wing boots carrying a green down parka. In a note, Dottie found in a safety deposit box from Paul dated December 23rd, 1978. You won't be opening this unless something bad has happened, or at least I hope not. I have done what I could to see that you can be self-sufficient and believe that is possible now. I know that I've been a a long way from perfect and all and seem to have gotten worse and time has passed but i still love you dearly mm. anyone with information is asked to contact the cochise county sheriff's department at 520-830-3280 and that is the case of the only unaccounted for park ranger thank you uh that was a really good story good in that it's sad and bad but you know what i mean there were so many different theories. There's so many and so much information that, mm-hmm. uh, but wow. But somehow none of it has yeah, led, led to a, a, yeah, mm-hmm. a, a successful ending or <laughs> uh, closing mm-hmm. to the story. Yeah. Um, wow. So <laughs> he's the only missing... That has never been accounted for. Everyone else never, they found. So it's only unsolved, the only unsolved missing mm-hmm. ranger mm-hmm. in all of the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's definitely not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, forgive me if you explain this. There's so much, so there's many a lot things. Of, there's a lot of information here. Uh, the girlfriend with the baby. Yeah. Oh, where's the baby? Was the baby born uh they don't go into any detail on her i think she just wanted to kind of remain anonymous like they told her part of his story and that's the only part we never know her name so there's no way to Hmm. i'd be curious to see if like she if it was a boy or if it was a girl and if he, he or she carries his name or any of that information if dottie kept in touch no i would assume not i mean yeah i guess not Wow. Wow, 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 wow. That was a good one. Thank you. So many pictures. So I'm going to make sure that I, I grab all those pictures from you. I, I have most of them. And I will include them on the uh, Twitter post. And I am I'm, might as well include that somehow on the Instagram account. 
We'll figure it out. I'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I will include uh, the couple pictures that I have, including the bridge, a picture of Amelie, and uh, that little video that I have of uh, the bridge, going over the bridge. I realized before, I just realized now, actually, as you were speaking, that I never went over the um, physical description of my story, of the, of the woman who went missing in my story. So if you don't mind, I, I could just yeah give that description now and also information on who to contact and where to go if you have any information pertaining Perfect. to my case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, um, Amelie, 36 year old, she was a, uh, she is or was a white male, female, <laughs> not male, sorry, white female. Uh, she has several aliases including molly davis molly steiner and then molly elizabeth MacArthur, and she's known as amelie MacArthur. she's been missing since august 28 1973 was born in 1937 and uh, she has blue eyes blonde hair her teeth are false she's five foot six inches she weighs 134 four pounds or weighed 134 pounds she's considered her build is considered slender and her complexion is fair so any information that you may have pertaining to her case or her any knowledge of her whereabouts or anything at all um you can contact fort st john rcmp at 250 and the reference case number is 1973-1973-70110. Or, sorry about that, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-2222-TIPS-8477. Nice. All right. So, uh, thank you for your story, Christina. Thank you, Sheena. And we will see you guys again in... A couple weeks. In, a, in two, yeah, a couple weeks. All right, so take care. Bye. Bye-bye.